singing on a Sunday night special edition of Chasing Squirrels. Sorry I didn't have your theme music there, Chris. But over to you, sir. Well, maybe Chris isn't there. So it's all yours, Chris. I tried to lead you in with a little bit of music there, but you didn't take the bait. It, dude, I couldn't even hear you. I was we were, we were all just jamming along to burning our silos down. <laughs> no, you got you got to admit that's a pretty cool song, eh? Um, yeah, it it kind of grimmed me out a bit though. I was I was going to swing this one more towards the hopeful tonight, <laughs> but uh, we can go there. Well, we're finishing with uh, "Thank God I'm a Country Boy" by John Denver, so <laughs> <laughs> just in time to save this episode. So. Here we are live on Voice Ed Radio. Um, I guess this is a, a bit of a hide, side hustle with Chasing Squirrels, but I guess also a side hustle with um, Beyond the Staff Room and a couple other peeps that are active in the Voice Ed world. So before we get too deep into smashing silos tonight, throw down an introduction, gentlemen. Who's in the room? Any order. Stephen, jump in. Okay, Stephen Hurley. Um, I'm not sure what... Ch- I'm just going to run the controls here and throw in a few things as I go along, but great to, great to have you here. This is the very first live Chasing Squirrels on Voicehead Radio. Honored. So I actually get cool. to declare that? I can call this a Chasing Squirrels episode? It is, and you can put in your this own theme music. Yeah, this is yours. Cool. You got it. Okay. All right. You can, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to burn down the silo. No one's going to touch it. Derek, throw down a quick intro. Oh, I'm Derek Rodenizer in Ottawa, um, host of Beyond the Staff Room. And if you're listening now, you should keep listening at 9 o'clock. We're back on again to talk about Word in Progress, talking about agency this oh, evening. Oh, man, yeah. I, what Very a, cool. What Mr. McGuire, throw something in. Hey, hi, it's Paul McGuire. I'm um, co-host First Hand Stories with Heather Swell, and uh, she's the one with the better voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not here with me tonight, so I'm going solo on this, and... Uh, just happy to be part of a live conversation about a really cool topic. It's funny, eh? I, I, how these conversations can come together. And it's, I wish there was a way to cleverly plot the timeline of how we came into this this evening. Because it started uh, pretty I started it. I was going to say, it started with a pretty, <laughs> pretty sw- simple tweet. What'd you throw down, Derek? It was, I can't believe it went this direction. I said barely anything. I said, um, I, I, what do you think a podcast is? My definition is interesting conversations plus microphones. And then I tagged a bunch of people. And then you came out with a great big list of all sorts of things that you believe that podcasts are. And one of them was silo smashing, which was this beautiful image. Yeah. It's it's funny, eh? Because it, you sort of... You hear about people that go into using Twitter and getting into social media in order to kind of provoke conversation and they go through that that first year or first two years of just trying like is anybody out there hello i hashtagged yep. hello and then um 
every once in a while something hooks and just runs and it's i've i've had this happen i don't know if you gentlemen have had this happen you put out what you think is the the provocative hashtag or the sort of pithy statement and it's it's just you kind of starting the ball rolling and the conversation just goes off on something else i was mind blown at how many people were kind of jumping in on this what um what do you think of it paul okay I, I just I, just dropped for a second. So, um, what I missed what you were just before you asked the question, it just <laughs> faded out. So, could you ask the question again? Yeah, all it was is how how remarkable sometimes these, you know, you, you post a, a comment to Twitter or some social media, you're looking to generate some sort of conversation, and what you think is going to happen with the conversation doesn't, but it's still a cool conversation. So what? Well, what, I've had I've had what, two of those in the last two weeks. One um, uh, was a phenomenal conversation. I think it was about two weeks ago, and I tried to record some of that in uh, one or two blog posts. Doug Peterson picked it up for two or three blog posts. Mm-hmm. So that, that you never know what's going to have currency, what's really going to go. Um, and then last week, uh, I tried the same kind of thing. And Chris, you were involved in it, and Derek, you were. Stephen, I think you were too. Um, and that kind of uh, that kind of flowed pretty well too. The, the interesting thing about the second conversation, and I'm not going to mention the individual, um, but one person in the conversation said, "Like, hey, you're tagging me on all this stuff." I open up my phone and I got 40 or 50 messages. Like, I don't necessarily want that. So that kind of actually got me thinking. Because that was the first time I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I, like, I didn't know this was a problem because I, for me, if I, get, if I open up my Twitter and I got 100 notifications, first of all, I know it's Derek. And secondly, he said, oh, I, I got lots of stuff. For me, it's a cool thing. But, but, you know, I'm retired. I can spend all day on Twitter if I want. But other people have, like, real jobs. And, like, and, and, and this person would say, hey, you're, you're messing up my phone. So I kind of had to apologize and all that kind of stuff. But then the person came back later. I said, well, maybe next time I want to be involved in that conversation. Oh, really? So I don't, yeah. that's something. To tell them to I turn off their notifications. Just turn off your push notifications. I don't know. I didn't get into it. I just, uh, I, I was kind of admonished or something like that. But, but it still was a great conversation. It led me to all sorts of cool things like, um, in the conversation we were having, I think we were talking about reform and education, and Chris, you got into something. You uh, referenced uh, uh, a YouTube conversation that you had um, with, with Roland, and then in the conversation, you mentioned Derek about getting out of his office for a week. So that came out in the Twitter conversation. Then Derek put this picture up about his mobile office, and that got like huge attention on on Twitter. So these conversations are becoming really organic and really interesting, and they're kind of seamless. They go from Voice Ed Radio to YouTube to Twitter to uh, blog posts. So things are getting extremely interesting. So off the top of that, you're welcome, Derek. I'm sure you got at least... Uh a couple more followers out of that one, but that was awesome. I lo- I, lo- I actually really do dig that fluidity. Um, it's uh, you know I love the idea of of 
being at a staff meeting, let's say, and someone says in front of the, the whole group, um, you know, the other night I, I posted this blog, blog post about assessment and evaluation, and I had three people chime in from all over the world, and here's where the conversation went. And I was about to do a presentation on assessment and evaluation, but I'm going to talk about this instead because it seems more relevant. And I think that whole flow with that um, provocation that you put out, Paul, is a perfect example of how conversations like what we're having right now can come to be. And it's, it's my favorite thing going on. I talked last night with an educator from Australia. I love saying things like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's exactly the stuff that yeah. isn't, isn't said that often in staff meetings still. So I think yeah. that kind of sets us up kind of nicely for what was um, what was I don't know, I guess what was magnetizing about the, you know, what's a podcast and then the throwdown on, you know, my maxing my 140 characters of a response. But it's it's that idea of um, smashing silos. And I and I got to throw out some pretty cool kudos to um, Noah Daniels out there because she jumped on that right away and said she loves that. I think she she went for the SOS acronym that sort of smashing our silos as a, as an approach to thinking about how we connect with one another. I guess when mm-hmm. when that smashing smashing silos or smashing our silos kind of jumped in your brain, what did it make you think of, Paul? Well, um, I don't I don't know if I thought the same thing as other people who were on Twitter, but for me, it's when I think about silos, I think about established and kind of old ways of thinking. Like this is the way we think, this is the way we do things, and and we're just going to keep on doing these things because no one's ever going to touch us because we're in our own silo, and that's how I see education in general. Um, especially when you look at boards of education and things like that. And, and they, they don't really get challenged all that much. And I learned this out of the first provocation I put out on Twitter um, because Andrew Campbell uh, really weighed in on this one. It was really great talking about how people really can't criticize boards of education because they risk sanction if they, if they do if they are critical, if they do basically attack the silos, therefore you don't really find a lot of attacks about the established silos. So it kind of connects, this whole idea of um, the silos connects to the first provocation that we put out there that Andrew did a lot of good uh, writing about, um, talking about how educators really can't criticize. Um, and I, I get that uh, as a as a principal, I kind of tried to keep a lower profile, um, but um, I don't really have to do that anymore, which is kind of a good situation. But you don't find a lot of crit- critique of education, I find, on Twitter because I think people are reluctant to do that kind of stuff. All right. Derek, what came to mind for you? I just couldn't stop thinking of the image. Hmm. It's a smashing silo. It was cool. and, like, and because my first um, post was sort of so innocuous, right? Like I, I, I was, what I was doing, like the angle I was going for is that I believe that more teachers should have podcasts. And I think, in a, you know, I want to say something like every teacher should have a podcast, which is unreasonable, but I feel like as many teachers should have podcasts as have blogs. I think it's just as useful. Um, and if we were differentiating for students, we should differentiate for teachers, and some of us do better with, with this medium. Um, and so, um, I, I, you know, I did a presentation in New York a few weeks ago, and um, I had my conversation with Paul yesterday, and that night is making me think, one of the major barriers is that people don't believe they have something to say that's worth hearing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was trying to, to sort of dull the edge and say, 
podcast isn't about, you know, amazing studios. It isn't about thought leaders. It isn't about that. It's about good conversations plus microphones. So that was my sort of angle, and I was trying to be super subdued. And then the first response I get is, smash, bang, 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 huge, huge smash. (laughs) (laughs) Which I just thought was really cool. So, um, uh, and I believe it is that. I believe it is a chance to sort of uh, expand. It naturally expands your thoughts because of this sort of technology. Like I'm having conversations with people that are further away from me um, than I would have otherwise. And like both of my kids just went to bed. Otherwise I would be doing work or on Netflix, right? I'm at my house. I can't go anywhere, but here I am completely leaving the boundaries of my house without having to. Um, So it it does allow us to smash cells. It does allow us to break borders just by the fit, like the sort of, you know, quote physicality of leaving your walls. Yeah, and I gotta, I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, Chidiac, Roland has said a, a thousand times um, that the conversation that he, conversations he finds himself in are, they're conversations that he can't get to in the physical sense. But he can schedule, he can, you know, make arrangements to sort of have 45 minutes or 60 minutes to sort of meet like this away from the rest of the group. Uh, you know, away from the family when they get the bedtime routine is done and he can sort of have a really great conversation. I love that, that idea of the lead in that each, each of us exist in our spaces that I guess we could, we could in some way identify them as, uh, as silos, maybe bigger silos, maybe higher silos. I don't know, maybe more inclusive, maybe more segregated silos, but we each by you know, I'm sitting in my base, like Hurley said, I'm in, I'm in the laundry room and <laughs> he's got his man cave. Paul, I don't know what your kit and setup looks like, but dude, I hope you have like the most amazing best buy laden $20,000 studio to talk out of. Cause I've you seen know, Derek's kit and his is like mine. It's like laptop and the microphone and away you go. I've but got I, my, uh, my, my little snowball holding in my hand right now and my like seven-year-old uh, macbook air that that's my studio i love it so we're getting into each other's silos this way and here's there's some pretty there was some pretty remarkable um postings within that twitter discussion you know it went from a chat to a discussion to just where is this thing going to go next like i was kind of checking in just to see if anyone was going to take what what off-ramp people were going to take um some really interesting turns of events but before I kind of throw down on, on that specifically, let's, let's try and bring it back down from 30,000 feet, so to speak. And somebody posted in there what sort of silos, I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing, completely mashing it, but you know, what sort of silos are we going to discover here? Or what are people per, sort of um, willing to talk about? And I think I put back in there whatever we're brave enough to talk about. Can I jump so, in on mm-hmm. that? Can I, yeah, I was, yeah. I, I'd like to put in, like, do you have a particular either... Um, I guess, uh, well, what's the silo? What's your silo? What's the one right now that you're I, either building or yeah. breaking? I just wanted to, um, to uh, first of all, before we go any further, I should say that if you're tuned in for the Kathy Fosno repeat of Wednesday's conversation, that took place an hour ago. We, we sort of moved things around, but you can catch that in ahead of today's uh, Twitter chat at 8 p.m. Uh, you can catch it at voiceed.ca in the on-demand. So, um, But I wanted to, uh, to acknowledge uh, what Jillian... Um, and, and Derek, could you help me with the pronunciation of Jillian's last name? 
Is it Stambolich? Stambolich. No, I can't. Stambolich. Stambolich. Well, you're talking, Stambolich. To, you're talking to her in an hour, so you better get it right. Anyways, she was talking. I have of, an hour. Yeah. You're outing me early here. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she was talking about uh, her life on the farm, right? And her, her dad being a farmer and... Uh, or was her grandfather. Anyway, she has farming in her blood. And she was talking about a very positive spin on uh, silos as a metaphor. And uh, that they're essential, to quote her tweet, uh, silos are as essential holders that temporarily store the stuff of life for others, must be replenished, filled with what others need. And others was in quotation marks. And I thought that was really powerful. Uh, because she she you know she brought it out into the um, almost to the social service the, you know the, the being of service to others but I, I, then I thought well silos and I did some checking into it silos um, store single grains single genres of material they don't you don't you don't have corn and barley and wheat mixed in the same silo. Uh, they're they're very monolithic, I believe, in in what they they actually store, and notwithstanding the fact that that what is in the silos is helpful, um, you know you can't let Mister Peas touch Mister Corn, as my wife would say, uh, in a rather uh, OCD way, uh, and so I think that is that's a, a, a pushing back on the metaphor uh, that I think is really powerful uh, because in silos, we keep to our own. Uh, and I think, you know, whether you call it echo chamber or silo, it's, it's what's held in there. And the fact that uh, nothing else touches that, that I think maybe we, um, we could talk a little bit about. If, have you ever driven through Saskatchewan and played the silo game? <laughs> Wait, so the game goes what's like this. Inside? No, the game goes like this. When you first see the silo, you start the clock. And you see how long it takes you to get there. And the flattest part of Saskatchewan, you can, like, two minutes driving 120 until they get to these things. And that that's my image of a silo, like a big grain silo, is that they are tall and they are obtrusive and they hold those things inside of them and there's no getting in and this, you know sore thumb on the horizon um and i appreciated the insight that uh, jillian was bringing that you know that it, uh, the goodness that's held within and stored within but it kind of feels like all the more reason to smash it and 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 have things intermingle and have the ability to take that really good stuff out and uh and spread it around and even if you end up spoiling some crop you're probably going to do better by getting a sense of what's happening in there. Paul, Paul, you had a, a, an interesting turn of phrase when you were, I think you were in a partially in, ex, in an exchange with, with Jillian. Um, and you, you said, I think something about protected jurisdictions. Hmm. Was that you mentioning yeah. that? So, yeah, so it was me. let me, let me ask you something. You know, you, you've said that, you know, that you, now that you're, you're no longer a part, directly a part of a, a school board, an employee of a school board, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What um sort when you stepped out, or even from where you are now, or just before you stepped out, what were some of those protected jurisdictions that you thought, you know what, these kind of need to be, we need to kind of sweep them out a little bit. Let's get it down to the bottom. Let's kind of crack it open a little bit, like what Derek's saying. Like, what are some of those 
those protected jurisdictions that you think need a little bit more examining? I think the first one you want to take a look at is the school itself. And, and our school is actually open to the community and the opportunities around them. And, and the school is like the ultimate silo, <clears throat> at least in education and maybe in society, because the school, and it shouldn't be this way, is so cut off from its community in many instances. Um, it really takes, uh, I think, progressive educators to step outside of that silo. And we were talking uh, earlier this evening just um, with family members here, um, <clears throat> my son works for Chrissy Lake Camp, and uh, he was doing a, uh, a camp for uh, Syrian families this weekend. And uh, he mentioned the principal of uh, the school where most of the families came from for the camp, and I think it's Carson Grove. Uh, and it sounds like an amazing principal. I don't remember her name, but but she was like totally into making this experience happen and work with Chrissy Lake kids to get these families up to camp for a weekend. And they had a great time. And it's it worked because this is a an educator who was willing to work like reach outside the silo of education and connect with a community organization for the benefit of her kids. So. That is, an, that is a unique experience in, in, in what I learned in 30 years in education. Generally speaking, we stay inside our silos. Like, if we need to get help for our kids, we look to our own school board. And if they can't help, well, then I guess there's no help. We don't look or we can't look outside. So there's a lot of social agencies that are outside that would like to get in or should be in, but they don't get in. So we're not ultimately doing the best that we can do for kids because we exist inside a silo. That's why when I was watching the conversation today and people are saying, well, silos can be good. I said, no, no, silos are always bad because silos are like schools and how they, they tend to protect themselves. Or if they look outside their boundaries, they only look in a very limited fashion to their own school board, which is so limiting. So... That's that's my perspective. Anyhow, can I? It's uh, it 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 brings to mind just um, I had a conversation and I I think I'm I think I remember the name right. Kevin Cardall and Stephen. This is a, yeah. a gentleman that that I met at the EdCan Network. Yes, um, he's from BC, and he was he he introduced me to a term that uh, I don't I just I'd never run into it before. But he talked about co-location, so. When I was reaching out, so I did a talk, I, you know, kind of challenged and provoked and and asked for people to connect me with their people that are involved in working with the, um, the student populations that I work with. And this guy, I think, is out of Kelowna or Penticton. He's somewhere in, in BC. Yep. Yep. And he was mentioning that they have a program there, I believe, called the Foundry. And the Foundry is the response to, you know, students that were not connecting well with the the school system and he said they have co-location as the strongest element of that system and what that would look like is that within the same space whatever the campus would be you would have medical services you would have a library you would have school you would have some sort of physical um, education element and there would be wellness elements so that idea of co-location and having more resources available I think almost by nature that cracks the silo open like that opens the door up and said hey you got to see what i'm storing up in here you know like come on in and let's see if we can work together 
Stephen, did you want to jump in on that? Yeah, it's it's really a, a neat vision because what they what they recognize, and and when I think of it, I think of the um, the uh, uh, assets program, the um, oh, you, you know, developmental assets uh, program where. Uh, it's recognized that not only in a school, it's not only the teachers that affect the kids in a community. It's not only the, uh, you know, the official uh, community service is people that can wrap uh, services and, and uh, assets around kids. Uh, but that for a child to be successful growing up, I think they they need to have a certain number of these. And I think there are 104 of these uh, developmental assets. So what BC has done, and it's it's growing out there, is um, is say, okay, there are community agencies, um, there's, uh, you know, financial support, there's, uh, there's all of these services that uh, can wrap around the life of a child. Um, let's mobilize them, let's recognize them, let's kind of bring them together. And I, I'm curious to, in a metaphorical way, is that expanding the silo or is that connecting silos? Because certainly these are these are services and and agencies that uh, traditionally have acted on their own um, with common you know a common vision that um, you know you can see if you take a good look. Uh, but it, it's it's interesting and it's very it's very hopeful. They're doing a lot of that out there. They're doing a lot of uh, you know the, that access to the health and and education, social services. Can can I? pause that just put yep. that on hold just for a sec draw in derek and then come back to it steven yep. is that cool absolutely so derek yes so um steven steven we we kind of get on the on the topic of co-location so putting kind of multiple multiple services within one space so they may be education related they could just be like really great stuff to have involved in education I, I, often I got to tell you, I, I look at your context and I think to myself, that dude's got all the freedom in the world, <laughs> but it just might be one big silo. It, it could. It, it, and I love the, um, there was a graphic that Jen Apgar posted today. She was, uh, she posted it in VR form. I think she said, you know, go ahead, throw this in on your, your Google, um, uh, Google cardboard or whatever, and check it out. And she basically created, um, a, a an image, uh, I guess a short video of four different silos coming together and kind of shifting through their colors and increasing in volume. And it, it gave me some sort of thought feel for a moment, just like our, when we talk about smashing silos, are we talking about making it one big Uber silo? Um, are we looking about, which is kind of like that co-location, right? Um, or are we actually looking to make it more exponential on the inside than on the outside? I don't know. But back to you, I think like you've got all the freedom in the world. So that's me looking at your silo. Is that a truth? So that that's the way that I spin it. That's the way that I see it and the way I exist within my, my space, but I, that's not the default setting in my opinion. So for those of you who don't have any context, I'm in a, I'm in an independent school. So the, the sort of default setting for an independent school is that it's completely isolationist, that um, there's no, there's no board, there's no connection with other schools. Um, there's no flip-flopping from school to school in a board. Um, and I suspect if you're in a public system, you might feel that silo, say, of the school board. But it's smaller. An independent school is literally one building. Um, and it's and I've talked about this a bunch before, but it's why I seeked out Twitter. Um, I used it 
in my opinion, as a necessity. I think it's something that's really useful for a lot of teachers, and now I believe it's a necessity for every teacher. But at that time, for me, it was absolutely necessary. Um, you know, I was in my third year teaching uh, grade seven and grade eight, and I had never spoken to another grade seven or grade eight teacher. <laughs> right? I, I, I needed, I absolutely required professional development to get out of it. And um, Twitter was allowed me to do that, allowed me to make connections outside of my building, uh, within my city, outside of my city, and, and a variety of other techniques, podcasting and stuff, has allowed me to expand that further. Um, and now it's flipped. I feel like at a certain point it flipped where then it came from being isolated in the silo to because nobody else is lording over my silo. I'm like this little mini independent silo. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> so I'm able to take all these different other things that I'm seeing in other spaces and implement them um, in my space and not have to worry about it. Right? I can just go mobile. If I want to go mobile, I just do it. Um, you know, whatever it may be, whatever project it is that I want to do, as long as it's okayed by my uh, leadership team, which is two people, we go for it. So definitely not the default setting, but it's turned out to be a really nice and free space. Hmm. So Stephen, just to, I like where Derek took, he, he sort of threw out the Twitter thing, which has been, you know, that's just opening the gate for many of us. You know, we can run free into those fields of conversations. But I, but I wonder, and this is kind of just, I'm hoping you can kind of extend this out, what you were saying. Is, is Twitter enough anymore to get us out of our silos? I think, I think Twitter holds us firmly in our silos. And when we, when we try to use Twitter to get out of them, um, it's deadly. I mean, I, I've been trying uh, on a couple of fronts uh, to open up conversation and to really listen and I'm not perfect at it. I mean, I get my back up and I get, um, I can feel my blood start to boil when, you know, the, the, the usual suspects bring out the usual arguments about something. I think, you know, David Price, uh, who's, uh, who's over in England, uh, came out with a, a great blog, uh, post this weekend. And it, it was about being, sick and tired, fed up with the polarization, the traditional versus progressive argument in education. And I know that's what, that's not what we were talking about, but it's a perfect example of a couple of, of, um, silos that's, that stand in opposition, staring each other down and assumptions are made on both sides. Twitter does nothing, absolutely nothing to, um, heal that to open up pathways uh, it's it just can't uh, it's interesting this weekend the research ed conference that's coming to toronto it will be the first time in canada where uh people like matthew oldridge uh um, andrew campbell and others will meet face to face with people like robert cragen uh, tara hool uh Teresa murray and others um these are opposite ends of the educational conversation specifically in mathematics let's say matthew oldridge um and this is the first time they'll be together face to face and i'm hoping that the two pub sessions uh that will happen in toronto is going to be enough to real to get people to realize that hey he doesn't have horns she doesn't have horns i'm hoping now i'm i'm the eternal optimist and people accuse me of that um but to to your point these these are uh these are 
people who have argued with each other, been vitriolic on Twitter. And I'm hoping that this weekend we will see a, um, uh, a new form of understanding emerge. Because unless we do, uh, they'll go back to their silos and continue to spit at each other. <clears throat> so the point is Twitter is not going to do it. Twitter's not enough. It's never been enough. Um, but it, but I think it has laid bare uh, the wounds uh, and and has has really revealed where the silos, where the lines are, where the boundaries are. Paul, I'm mm-hmm. curious. In now that now that you're not directly tethered, let's say to a school board, am I correct in sort of shaping it that way? Yeah. yeah okay. True. Um. What sort of, I'll start with saying, I mean, we could say silos, 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 but what's, what sort of conversations do you feel like you're able to be a part of now that you no longer have that, let's say, connection to the school board? That's kind of the part one. The second part to it is, and was that, were those tethers self-imposed or you really, you sort of felt like maybe they were sort of board-imposed? Okay, um, well... I don't think I really changed my tone all that much from the time I was a principal to now. Um, I've, I've written some posts on uh, on my blog that I probably would not have written beforehand. Um, so there's, there's uh, some subtle changes that way. Um, also, I have a lot more time to write now than I had before, so that might that might be a factor. Second question about, okay, who, who imposed these kind of guidelines or strictures on what I could or could not say? It was very much um, uh, my employer as a school board who said, like, you can't write anything that is, that is deemed negative um, regarding the school board because if you do, you'll be suspended. Um, so the, the, that's a pretty effective way of shutting a person down. Um, because like who, when you write something, it's not in your eyes, it's in the eyes of the, you know, the person who's reading it, if they decide it's negative. So you really have to be careful. Mm. So the, I imposed my own kind of limits on what I wrote, um, because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to get in any more I, I didn't want any more controversy, and, and, and reason, the basic reason I didn't want any more controversy was that it would, it would mess up things at my school, and it was hard enough to get things done anyhow at my school. I didn't need any more hassle from um, people at the school board. And I have to say that my last two and a half years, I had the wonderful privilege of working at a really hard-to-serve school, like a high-poverty area, and I really needed to kind of pull out all the stops all the time to get things that the kids needed uh, for the school. So burning any bridge was not a really bright idea. Having said that, I never really got a heck of a lot from the school board. And this is why silos to me is a a really interesting topic. I had to break down the silos and and reach into the community to get the things that I needed for the school because the school board either wasn't able to or wasn't willing to provide the things that our kids deserve. So hope that's answering the question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, no, it's totally on point. I've, I've asked a couple different administrators to talk with me on my podcast. And in both instances, in both instances, the information that came back was that they were advised by their superiors to not participate 
because I, because I was considered to be media. So I was being looked at very much like talking to the newspaper, which I was like, I get to be media. I was like, wow, I just feel empowered to a certain degree. Right. I'm okay. I'll wear another hat. But I think there's, there is a little bit of that. I, I think that there's something between that response and what you're saying, Paul, that, um, can kind of constrict what the, that sort of opportunity to sort of like get into those conversations, get, get into it kind of deep in some way. But that's Um, a, that's a big problem though, because like, yeah, you are media, but like media is a massive threat to educators. Like I remember, sorry for breaking in, but I had to say like years ago before I was at a ministry, I was department head of student services at a school and the major issue in our schools was drugs and addiction. And we were trying desperately to find ways to help these kids. And it was like a massive tragedy. Like we were losing human beings. Like they weren't dying, but they were getting to the point where they would never function again in society. And I got interviewed with a few other department heads by Alex Munter. And if you're from Ottawa, Alex Munter is someone who's very, very well known. Been a local politician, now works for CHEO, um, the CHEO Foundation. And he asked us, okay, about drugs and in Canada or drugs in Ottawa. And I said, well, the source of drugs for kids are the schools. Drugs come from the schools. And uh, that got quoted and put in the paper, but it was true. Like kids, like that's where they would get their drugs was all the kids were there. The article came out and had my picture in the paper, the whole deal. Mm. Did not see anything wrong with this because it was true. And I was definitely on the front line trying to deal with this problem, in the, at least from a school perspective. Got a call like like 9.05 that day from my superintendent, and uh, she said, please tell me that you were misquoted. I said, no, no, I said those things. And I got in a huge amount of trouble. And in, in the, all of this, this is the first time, but there was many times after where I got in trouble. But the, no one ever questioned what was happening to those children, those teenagers. It was all about the fact that I had said these things, and it was based on my experience. And this is the crux of the matter when it comes to this, these kind of issues. We know a lot of stuff, and we're not saying these things, and it's a scandal, and that should not be happening. It, it completely brings to mind kind of two different pieces. One, what Jill Stembolich mentioned about the things that are in the silo, we've worked hard there's she's there's she had mentioned the placing the value on it you've drawn it in from your field you've sort of nurtured it you've grown it and then you're protecting it through harsher times within that silo and if we get you know extend that metaphor in some ways it sounds as if that's you know it's it's the the students within that silo that really needed to be supported yet somehow is being looked at your voice and speaking to the topic the, the second thing it brings to mind, and Andrew Campbell does this so well when he, he stirs the pot and he talks about educators' involvement on social media and talking about being able to speak out. And one of our fiduciary duties is to protect our students from harm. And I believe on at least at least one or two occasions, he said, what would an educator's position be if they really believed that the going rate of system or the... The, the tools being used within education actually are doing, is doing, are, is, are creating harm to the students. How do you speak to that? And I, I think there's a really profound place all of a sudden that educators find themselves as the, as the protector of whatever is inside of that silo, whether it's in your context, Paul, or in something that, um, that Andrew's suggesting, which I think he was looking towards standardized tests. Mm-hmm. Derek, what were you going to jump in with, dude? Oh, 
feel like I missed time now. Um, <laughs> that was, I'm really enjoying listening to that. That was that was a particularly interesting piece, and um, in listening to the way you were developing the metaphor, Chris, I, I think it, the the idea of sort of holding and cherishing and trying to guard, you know, makes me think about the intentionality of those maintaining the silo, right? So. Um, I don't suspect there's an in, the, the intentionality is not to to harm. You're talking about harm. I don't think that's what's happening, right? But you're you're trying to hold this stuff what, through the winter in the metaphor. But um, in education, you're, you're trying to protect those students and try not to let bad messages about our schools get out or, or whatever. But sometimes you don't see the forest through the trees and it takes people like Paul that are sort of willing to step up and say, well, actually this is what I'm noticing. Like I'm actually in the school and this is what I see and I have to be able to say what I see. So, um, I think that was really interesting. I something to listen to. I wanted to push back against Steven. Um, because, um, I think that he's right in that Twitter is not enough. But I think that he's wrong if he's saying that Twitter is not, um, or something like Twitter, is not a uh, a useful element. Because it's absolutely not enough for conversation. 140 characters is limiting, even if you're very clever about the way you do it. Um, I think these long-form conversations, like we're having right now, are where um, everything comes out. And I think there's a lot more power, a lot more power in a podcast than in Twitter or any other social media for that matter. But for me anyway, Twitter is my booking agent. You know, Twitter is how I see what's going on. It's how I get a sense of the things that I want to look down deeper on. You know, this conversation we're having right now, which is really useful, was born on Twitter. Um, the animosities that, that, that Stephen was talking about were playing out on Twitter. Like on a surface level, I think you need to pluck those things off and then dig them deeper. So agree that it's not alone, but I think that these, the social media piece is like that crack in the silo. And then, um, getting people together to actually talk is the, uh, the ability to pry it open. Steven, you yeah. threw your hand up. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to respond to that. I agree that I, I wouldn't want to get off of Twitter. And I, and I think that, uh, the Twitter has, uh, enabled me to, um, become aware of the different uh, perspectives that are out there. Uh, I've I've intentionally sought some of those, and some of them have been thrust upon me. Um, but I guess the question is, what do you do with those, and uh, how do you respond? Um, it's it's possible to respond from a place of siloedness, or it's possible to respond in another way. So I I agree with you. I I'm. I, I didn't mean to say that it wasn't, um, I meant to say that it wasn't enough, but I didn't mean to say that it didn't have a place. So we're, we're creeping up on the last quarter here. So I'd, I'd kind of like to bring it back to some nuts and bolts if we could and address as specifically as possible. Cause there are people that are going to listen to this, this podcast or this live feed. And they're like, this is awesome. You know, this is cool to be able to hear, some people talk about education. Um, they seem to really like they're passionate. They're going at it. Um, but that's a podcast, and I'm not about to take a podcast to sort of leap out of my space. Um, I, 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 
they may not even be doing a reflective practice that they've sort of honed or developed yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to start with, well, I'll call you out, Stephen, just because I know you're still, still warm from that last response. If, can you be specific mm-hmm. it, without podcasts and without Twitter, which is how this conversation came together. And if anybody out there wants to know how to put something like this together, reach out. I'm more than happy, more than happy to sort of show you how you can put something like this together. If you're craving to sort of exist in this sort of a platform, but if it's not Twitter, if it's not doing a live broadcast, how do you break the silo? What's, what's a tool that someone listening right now can say, you know what, I could probably take that and give it a ride. For me, you know what, it, uh, it's, it's more of a, um, it may not be an answer, but it's, it's, a, it's a practice that I have found to be very valuable. And that is, I read, uh, hopefully more extensively than I did a year or two ago, I read out of my silo. And so whether that's in the business realm, more, more often than not these days, I'm reading references that the people that um, are uh, taking opposite viewpoints are reading and holding up as the research, for example. So a few weeks ago, I found um, the Chartered College of Teaching uh, in England has started up. And uh, last week, I received my official membership card as a professional affiliate. And the only reason that I joined them is because they gave me access to 2000 research journals. And so I'm able to find the stuff that people are saying, read this. Um, This is why we believe what we believe. And I think unless I do that, uh, then I really can't speak to it. Uh, So I find myself reading not only outside my a professional field, but outside my comfort zone uh, in that professional field. And so that's, that's how I'm proposing that I go about uh, breaking the silos is become familiar with the arguments of people in other silos. Very cool. Derek, how do you do it? How do you bust out? How do you, how do you take those bricks out of your silo? All right. So the first thing I, I would do is question the validity of the question in saying that both of these things are totally accessible. 100% accessible. You can absolutely get a Twitter account. You can absolutely listen to or create podcast content with whatever you have in your pockets right now. Right? If you have a cell phone in your pocket, you're set. So, okay, let's suspend that for a second and pretend you can't do that. Thank you for playing nicely. <laughs> so, you can't, you can't do what is very simple and easy. And instead, you're looking for a different solution. So um, I think that um, last week on um, on a, a word in progress, which by the way is on tonight at 9 p.m., uh, we talked about uh, technology with Andrew Campbell, who mentioned earlier, and the big sort of piece about that was it's not about the tool; it's about uh, about what you need to do with that tool, and then find the best tool that to actually solve that problem. And so I would say that the the thing we're trying to do here is ask questions, right? So if you figure out your why, figure out your why, your why is find out the why, right? You're asking the questions. And then, like Stephen said, he's going to articles. Or maybe you're just asking people in your staff room. Or maybe you're finding a way to get to other teachers that are outside of your building like just by a friend or through a Facebook group or whatever. But if you identify what it is you want to do, and that is 
you know, find out more about education, ask the why questions, then the tech piece or the tool, whatever that may be, that works most sense for you, will we'll kind of, you'll discover it, I think, if that's a bit of a cop-out answer, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. That works. That works. I was intentionally sort of defanging us because, I, mm-hmm. you know, you're right. This is, it is simple, but there are individuals that may look at it as like, you know, I'm listening to this podcast right now on iTunes. I don't even use Twitter. So there's there's sort of little angles there just to give people a peek at, at how to do it. Paul, what are you thinking? I was <clears throat> thinking about this. I think at one point it was a lot easier when it, we're talking about silos to break down silos. It was a lot easier for me because I I was a principal of a school. So I, I, I was very intentional. I tried to be very intentional about breaking down silos on a daily basis, like looking for ways different ways that had not been done before to stretch out to the community and make ourselves more of a community hub, a community center than uh, just, a, just a, a school that happened to be occupying space on this particular block. So, yeah, that, and I did not find that difficult to do. I thought that was like what you're supposed to do. Um, and it was based on training that I'd had years and years earlier in alternative schools, working with Team Evic, things like that. You want to do well, you have to be part of the community. So, yeah, it used to be a little bit easier. To, to be honest, it's a little bit more of a challenge when you're retired because you're not in any silo anymore. So breaking down a silo is like you're not even in one. I, I guess the best I can say right now is that um, I try to work on breaking down silos by provoking and by writing and by engaging. So, uh, and this is the becomes the challenge when you no longer are part of a formal system. You need to work really hard to make contact with people. And that's what I try and do every day to the best of my ability and take every opportunity that's, that's put in front of me. Voice at Radio is, is like number one uh, because it op- opens up so many doors to provoke and to discuss and to connect. And I think by doing that, you bring about change, hopefully, and... Um, Maybe break down one or two silos. Stephen, just just quickly on that, how from from January till now, yep, has has Voice Ed gotten in the door of some of those spaces? Do you feel? Yeah, I think we we are getting there. Uh, so I um, I've. I guess about 30% of my day is spending uh, is spent reaching out to people and I've reached further and further out. So a couple of the podcasts that we've had on, um, have definitely done that. For example, we had, uh, um, Michael Zwagstra on from, uh, the frontier Institute, uh, um, a month ago, he's speaking at research ed. Uh, he is definitely, um, a, a firm, a firmly planted in in one of those silos that I'm not part of, and I intentionally uh, reached out to him. Uh, I've reached out to uh, you know the, the the other people that are are also part of um, this weekend. Tom Bennett is one of them uh, out of the UK, uh, and and every time I enter into one of those Twitter conversations with someone that I really recognize that is not in my silo. Um, I, uh, I re- reach out and say, Hey, there's, this is a space for you. And that's the intention of the space. That's the reason I created voice ed, uh, five years ago, almost, almost six years ago is because I got tired of the polarization and the fact that people weren't talking to one another. Uh, but primarily, uh, we are people that agree with each other here right now, but hopefully over the next uh, six months that will change, but it's going to take effort on all our part to kind of 
uh, get out there. I don't and, always agree with you. Uh, <laughs> but you're the only one that has slept in my house as a guest and and i just put i i, I overdubbed that could you tell that's pretty good eh? that's awesome um can i throw down just how to break the silo yep. is that okay can the host do that can the chair speak i'd like to speak from the chair if i yeah. could so it's it's funny we can you know I I love tech I love how it accelerates these conversations and look at what it did today like this is a this is a wonderful kind of end game to where this 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 tweet fest started sometime last night I think am I right like this is like twenty four hours later ish yes you are correct so this is pretty cool we don't have to wait till Monday and forget about all the awesome things Stephen that we wanted to say in this convo I will say start really simple get into your colleagues' classrooms consider the the distance that your students come to school. And that is the distance of your silo. That is how far your, your learning community goes. Do everything that you can to figure that out and use technology to accelerate the conversation. So that's sort of just what was kind of brewing in me. Um, getting pretty close, I guess, to the top of the hour. I've never said that before, but I think I did it just right. <laughs> Mr. McGuire, so this is in reverse order. Where would you like to be found? What do you got going on in the next little while? And... Uh, Throw down some uh, some uh, information if someone else wants to talk oh, to you. Oh, thanks very this. much. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter at, at MCGUIRP. And uh, the big thing that we've got going on that we're promoting crazy uh, every day now is a trip to Peru that um, mentioned Crystal Lake Kids earlier on. And uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. going to be a, a fundraiser for, for that uh, for that organization and a really crazy high-altitude uh, trek in August 2018. Very cool. Mr. Rodnizer, you got this is your moment. Oh man. So listen to uh, Beyond the Staff Room and check out um, Mad PD, hashtag Mad PD. So we've just very, very early, six months away, and launched the uh, opening for presenters. And this is a great opportunity to smash some silos. Um, so it's 15 minute presentations, very small, for 15 minutes of um, questions afterwards. And we're looking to have 200 presenters this year. We want to bring in everybody. The idea is that everybody has something to share. Even if you feel like you don't, you absolutely do. Um, and if you've never presented anything before, this is absolutely the medium to do it in. So check out the hashtag MadPD. Very cool. Mr. Hurley, throw it down. Stephen with a PH underscore Hurley on Twitter. Um, living the dream here on Voice Ed Radio and trying to keep the uh, the station on the air 24-7. And uh, it is one fantastic lifestyle right now. Uh, so thanks for this opportunity. And thanks for being on here, Chris. Cool. And I get to be Chris Clough. You can find me on uh, Twitter, Chris J. Clough. Uh, you could also listen in to Chasing Squirrels uh, podcast. I also have a little side hustle with Roland Chidiak. That's Decoded Podcast. Thanks for listening to Voice Ed Radio, our first Chasing Squirrels live episode. Done. Listen to me and hold me tight And you will see I love so right Hold me darling Listen closely to me What love can do Reveal to me Your love so true Listen to me Listen closely to me I told the stars You're my only love I want to love you tenderly Those same bright stars In heaven above Know now how sweet 
clap your hands. Well, life on the farm is kind of laid back. Ain't much an old country boy like me can't hack. It's early to rise, early in a sack. I thank God I'm a country boy. Well, a simple kind of life never did me no harm. Raising me a family and working on the farm. Days are all filled with an easy country charm. Thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fine wife. I got me old fiddle. When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the griddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. When the work's all done and the sun's set low, pull out my fiddle and I'm rosin up the bow. Kids are asleep, so I keep a kind of low. And thank God I'm a country boy. I play Sally Goodman all day.